we're glad you're here. My name is Brandon. I'm the pastor here, and, and uh, we're in our series, uh, Ology, and we're, we're about the ologies, and, and it's uh, what Christians believe. And, and um, I, I want to, before we do, though, we sent out an email um, just to, it's just almost like as a heads up, and, and so there's, you know, you're in the room. Maybe some of you are like been anxiously waiting for this time to like, oh, what's he going to say? But people watching online, I'm sure. And, and so um, I want to talk about, um, about the, uh, the vaccine and, and in particularly uh, these new mandates about this vaccine. And um, I want to just ask a general, I think, an easy softball question. Anyone have an opinion on these vaccine mandates? <laughs> Anyone? Any thoughts uh, whatsoever? Um, any hard takes? No? Um, uh, I think it's fair to say that this is probably one more domino in a whole string of dominoes that people have really strong opinions and takes on and 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 their position it's almost like it just with each kind of new issue that comes up it just becomes more solidified and whatever like when we started maybe we were all closer together and then like issue and issue and issue and division and division and division now we're like here and it's like there's almost nothing that we can do to fix this it's like this you are where you are and it's taken you two year and a half two years to get here right um, so I, I'm, I, it would be foolish for me to get up here and say, I, I think I'm going to, th- I mean, I'm going to try. I'm going to try to fix you. Um, that's not what I'm going to do this morning. That's not even, I don't even think what we're called to do or, or, or like it's not my job to, uh, to make you think like how other people should think or that we all should agree. So I want to talk um, on instead rather in categories of how we should be viewing this because it's not about like, like I don't think there's much profit in saying let's all come to the same conclusion and until we do, there's no unity. I don't think that's, first of all, I don't think it's possible. In this room, we all have different views, different, different like we land at different perspectives on this issue. So to try and uh, pretend like we're all gonna agree on everything, it, uh, it would just be um, an endless amount of arguing with no, it wouldn't really work at all. So instead what I wanna do is, is say, I think there are some things we can get around and say, yes, we can agree on these categories, this, uh, of the, the category of issues without agreeing on all of the specifics. So, um, so when, we, when, we, when we speak on this issue or think about this issue, I think it's helpful for us to understand um, uh, that, uh, that not everything is black and white and that there are different categories of even right and wrong. That may have just shocked you a little bit, and you're like, uh, is this church for me? What did he just say? So let me explain. So there are things that we would call matters of morality. These are, these are right or wrong. These are black or white. This is, uh, it doesn't matter like what, um, what a person believes or thinks to be true about it, it's wrong. These are the big things. These are like, you know, when we read the, like the Ten Commandments, we're like, it's addressing these things. These are these are wrong or right simply because they are. These are things like murder or abuse um, or, uh, or even like lying and stealing. Like we can, make, we can try and make justifications for this, but none of us are like, you know what? A society where everyone lies is a good society. Like where everyone steals, that's, that's great. There are things that we say this is wrong or right, even if people disobey it or disagree. Or do, and, and we have laws against this, right? Hey, this is the standard, and you've gone against it. And there, these are things that are that are moral issues. There's laws about all kinds of things, but there are there are issues that here that just fit in this moral category of this is wrong, this is right. 
But then there are issues that don't, that don't fit nice and neatly into moral categories of right and wrong. And, and, and even biblically, we see that not everything fits into these categories of right and wrong. There are, there are issues or matters that we could say they're matters of conscience, of, of personal conviction. Paul addresses this in Romans 14, where he's talking specifically about the church in Rome and the division they're having over very specific issues that they're taking hard stands on. And for them, it wasn't a vaccine because that wasn't the thing they were dealing with. For them, it was food and it was specific holidays. And so for him, he's addressing, listen, some of you think that eating this food is fine. And some of you say like, no, this is wrong. And, and you know what? This is a matter of conscience, not right or wrong. And he speaks into specifically this issue of of eating meat or or even holidays, like some consider certain days holy and then others consider all days holy. And so he's like, all right, how do we bridge this gap? And here's what he says in Romans 14, uh, verse 14. He says, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, so like I'm calling on the authority of Jesus himself, that nothing is unclean in itself like meat or holidays or whatever it is. All right, listen, I, I'm convinced that, that what we're discussing here, he says, is not moral issues right and wrong. And he says this, but if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. So he brings up a matter of personal conviction and of conscience of, listen, I'm not convinced that this is unclean, but for them, if it is, then it is. He gives them a, then for you, this fits in that category. A few verses later, he says this, and this is, this is I think, where we can find unity even amidst differing opinion, very differing opinions. He says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. In the midst of disagreement, of deep disagreement, he says, let's, let's do everything we can to pursue peace and mutual edification, knowing that not all of us will agree. I don't know about you, but that sounds, that sounds like the, the exact setting we find ourselves in. Except subtract the meat or holidays and now submit COVID and vaccines. So this issue of vaccine, of whether you should get a vaccine, is, is not a matter of morality, of right or wrong. It's a matter of conscience of personal conviction because, listen, what's right or wrong for you is different than what is right or wrong in this area for the person in the row in front of you than it is for the person who you work with, than it is for your neighbor, than another coworker or family member. Like, all of us have a different area. So some of us, some of us, uh, when we talk about the, the vaccine, um, uh, um, for you, it makes total sense, and, and it's hard for you to even understand how someone else couldn't get it. Uh, maybe I want to, uh, I don't want to, I think I'm going to offend enough, so I don't want to extra offend. So um, uh, for some of us, I'll describe you as, um, as uh, maybe experienced in years. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? Maybe you're more experienced in years than other people, and so for you, it's a no-brainer. The, the vaccine for you is maybe a, a godsend, a lifesaver, like I'm, as soon as I can get it. And you know what? Good. But, but there may be someone else in a setting, a situation that's different than yours and is at a different conviction. 
And for them, it's, maybe they're not high risk. Maybe it, it's a matter of, like they, of, of having different reactions to past issues or vaccines. Or like for whatever reason, they have a conviction that's different than yours. And what we try to do instead is instead of saying, like, hey, we have a disagreement of conscience or of personal conviction, what we try to do is say, no, this is a morality issue. This is right and wrong. And we say, you're wrong because you don't agree with me. And shocker, everyone agrees with themselves. Did, like, like anyone, like raise your hand if you're like, I know I'm wrong, but I don't care. Anyone? <laughs> Nobody. Nobody says, I'm wrong, so what? Like, I'm right, and I need you to also be right with me. And what we're fighting over are matters where Paul says, hey, it's okay to have different opinions. What's, he says, listen, it, what's uncle- if, it, if they think it's unclean, then it's unclean for them. That doesn't mean it is for you. And there's freedom, but also like we have to treat each other with brotherly and sisterly kindness and grace and peace and mutual edification. Now, the issue, that's the issue of the vaccine. The mandate's different. And this is where, I think we can probably all sit in this room or watch online and be like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. All right, yeah, of course, we're all gonna make different decisions for ourselves in our life. That makes sense. This now uh, is where if, if, uh, if I'm gonna step on toes, here we go. The issue now is we don't, well, yeah, okay, here we go. Wait till I, wait till, wait till, it might be your toes, so hold on. <laughs> the issue with the mandate is different. And, and um, the issue, uh, like a lot of people are trying to pursue a, you know, religious exemption and trying to like, I get in people, hey, how do, like, I've got some thoughts, but like, do you got any like, like just killer verses? Like, you got anything in, in there that I can just pull up. And here's the thing, ready? This may shock you. There's not a verse in the Bible about vaccines. There's not one. <laughs> Did you know that? Because there's no vaccines around it. Like, it did, they didn't even know what that is. So to try and find a verse, some obscure thing as a loophole, um, I think is inappropriate and also um, uh, a disservice to the actual discussion because you're just trying to get out of it's like it's like the teacher it's like it's like the kid just trying to get out of class by like getting some teacher note like oh if I just get the right signature then I don't have to do this you're just trying to you're just trying to you're not addressing the issue here you're just trying to get out of class all right so let's talk about this the issue is much bigger than just simply the vaccine the issue is this ready has God given the government, any government, the, authority, the biblical authority to dictate and control your own body and your own self? Not do they try. There's, throughout history, every government has done this and tried and, and, and abused people and murdered people. And like, like We can't say because they've done it in the past, that doesn't mean God is saying like, yeah, go get them. Biblically, has the government, will we say we would submit to the governing authorities? Yes, we do and we should. But, but does the government have so much control biblically and authority that they get to now decide what you do with yourself? This seems to be a discussion and a battle over lanes, or we can call them spheres of, of influence in your life. It isn't a matter of right and wrong, though it's really easy to have those debates and like you go online and Facebook and it's, it's all, that's all it is, is I'm right, you're wrong. Nope, I'm right, you're wrong. Here's my evidence, here's my sources. Well, mine, 
you know, my video is longer than your video, so clearly mine trumps yours. And it's like this endless battle. Instead, what we see is that, there, that this is a battle over, over spheres of influence, and, and it's not about, listen, okay, ready? I, this may be controversial, and, you know, so be it. Here we go. The mandate falls into this category of, of matter of conscience, not morality. It's not right or wrong. It's personal, seems to be personal conviction. And the content, listen, the content of the mandate is almost irrelevant. It isn't we follow the mandate because we agree with it. Because there will one day be a mandate you don't agree with. And then what do you do? It can't be because, well, I like the rule, so therefore everyone should follow the rule. It has to be bigger than that. The issue isn't, well, I agree, so therefore everyone should agree. But there seems to be in life lanes. You have a lane, a sphere of influence, and that's you, like your person. You make decisions for you. And you decide what you're going to do and where you're going to go and where you're going to work and who you're going to uh, get to know, who, what relationships you're going to have, even who you're going to marry. Um, and then what happens, you have your lane, and then the more decisions you made, this is what I found to be true, least. Like, you get married, and you're like, my lane's a little smaller. You start having kids, and you're like, oh, man, I got like, I can make like three decisions in life, and that's it. And everything else is just decided for me, Right? But, but, but those three decisions, they're mine, right? Like the shirt, I, I chose this shirt this morning, right? That's awesome, awesome. My wife laid it out, but I chose to put it on. <laughs> you and I, we have lanes. You have the, your self lane, and then you have your family lane. This is our family. This is what we're doing for our family. This is where we're choosing to live. This is how we're raising our family. This is, what we're, this is where the schools we're trying to go to or what we choose to go to or, or how we educate our Okay, You have your family lane, and that's what you decide. We have, uh, you have your work lane, right? Your work has certain things that you, it requires of you and you submit to. You have your school lane. If you have kids in school or grandkids or you went through school, like, like it has certain influence in your life and it has its lane, it has its purpose. And we have a church lane. You have a lane here, the sphere of influence that this church has over you. It has a particular role in your life and it's very specific. And then we have the government lane and it has a specific role. The problem is when any one of those lanes decides I have authority over all the lanes. Does that make sense? The, and, and it doesn't matter the lane, right? If this church, if New Hope Church, we got to a point where, I mean, this would be fun, but where we decided we get to decide all the other lanes for you. Like, I could do a pretty good job, you guys. I could do a great job running your life. I really, I'd be good at it, I think. I think, just come ask me, I'll tell you what you should do. If this, ever, if this church ever did that, and I joke because never will we do that, it's no longer a church. And there are churches that do this and they become what we call cults. <laughs> Where they decide everything for the person, that's a problem. If the school decides, this is what, I, you know, we're gonna decide what church you go to or when you go to it, that's a problem. That's not your lane. That's not your sphere of influence. And if, listen, here's where we get to this mandate now. If the government decides or assumes full control or authority over the other lanes, 
Biblically, it has gone too far. That's a problem. So the issue is not, well, I like it. We're in, a, we're in a crisis, and so, uh, you know, let, let's, just, let's just hand over the government. Let's give them control because, listen, this is a safety thing. The issue here is not the content of this mandate. It is, does the government biblically have control to decide what you do with yourself, your body? It's trying to assume that control. Now, that, I don't even say you have to believe that or not. But that's where you and I should have the discussion. If we're going to have a debate, if we're going to disagree, it's over. Does the government biblically, not like your personal preference, biblically, does it have the authority to make those kinds of decisions? And at what point do we say we resist? Because biblically, there are points where we, where we see the very people who wrote, submit to the governing authorities, also resisted those very authorities. So, here we go. Ready? Should a Christian get the vaccine who wants it? Of course. Absolutely. Many of you have. Great. And for you, for a lot of us, like, as soon as, I'm, as soon as I'm eligible, I'm getting it. That's great. I, I had one guy ask me once, uh, I won't share his name, uh, but he's like, hey, do you think it's the mark of the beast? Vaccine is like, I, I think, what do you think? You know what? I think you're on to something here. I didn't say that. <laughs> I said, well, it's hard to have a mark of the beast without the beast. <laughs> there's no, like, there's a lot that has to happen in Revelation before we get to that point. So this is not that. This is, this is not that. This, this does seem to be a, um, a, a medical vaccine to fight COVID. And, you know, whatever you think about that. All right. So should a Christian get a vaccine who wants it? Absolutely. Should a Christian de who, who decline the vaccine if they have a personal conviction to do so? Absolutely. Because this is not a matter of morality. This is a matter of, even as Paul says, for them, all right. That seems to be what you need to do. So we, we will not, you and I, we will not all agree on on should you, shouldn't you, should we force it, should we, like, you, how, all the mandates, we, we won't. We just simply won't. But we can agree on what Paul says. Let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification, knowing we will have different conclusions. It just so happens that mine's right. <laughs> so as we move forward, I, I, I hope, I hope that, um, that we that we can get to a point where we say, regardless of your personal conviction, that you have the right to hold your own personal conviction. Does that make sense? So as a church, I think we can move forward in unity and say, categorically, we can agree on these things, even though we will disagree on the details. And you know what? It's fine. The church will still survive and function and thrive amidst the differences of opinion yet still remaining in unity. So, was that enough time? Can we move on? Can we? I would like to talk about God now. Let's do it. So here's, 
Here's the, our study this morning is theology and, and uh, theos is the Greek word for God and so theology is the study of God. But, but it's also like a larger category when we talk about theology. Um, A.W. Tozer, a uh, famous theologian and writer, um, he says this, what comes into your mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. This is a famous line he gives, and he says, listen, the most important thing about you, ready? The most important thing, not what you were, where you work, or what you do. The most important thing about you is what you think about God, how you understand him. That's the most important thing about you as a person. Here's, he goes on a few paragraphs later. He says this, the most pretentious fact, the most serious or important fact about a man, likewise a woman, also it's true, the, the most pretentious fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his heart conceives God to be like. So for you, when it comes to, to thinking about God, what comes to your mind when you think about God? When we bring up God, what, what thoughts, emotions, um, hit past histories, what comes to mind for you? Because whatever that is, and however long it takes to think about that thing, he says, and I agree, is the most important thing about you. We should take a moment and pause because whatever you answer, whatever that is, is the most important thing about you. And some of us will... There's plenty of people who fall into the category of, well, God is distant or cold or, or just waiting to punish people. Like he's got a, you know, a heavenly zapper and he's like, uh, just got him. Like, and some people have this view of God like he's just waiting to punish. If that's true of you, that will affect your life. It has a great effect on you. Maybe you understand God to be forgiving and accepting of everyone and everywhere and every time. Or maybe you believe that God is so removed from our lives that he, he doesn't even care and it's not even worth pursuing him. Or you may believe that it's not even possible to know. Like how can we know everything or anything about God? So we, listen, it's just quite a, just, let's, just, let's just all hope it all, it all works out. Or maybe God is whatever you believe he is as long as you're sincere. As long as you believe it, that's true for you. You can see how any one of these views of God has an effect on your life and even your understanding and how you relate to that very God. Whatever you think about God will affect your life. So today we're looking at this study of theology and it's often referred to as theology proper. It's like all of, like all of the ologies fit under theology, but this one is specifically the study of God. So when we look at the study of God, here's what, here's what if you're taking notes, you can write this down. To know who God is, I need to know what he is like. Theology proper tells us that we can know about God and we can know what he's like based on what he wrote. We looked last week at the scriptures and why we can trust them. And, and now, since we've decided, I'm assuming, I'm hoping you decided you can trust this, what does this tell me now about who God is? The first thing we see that God exists as a trinity. If we get this wrong, then the, it doesn't matter the path you're on, you're on the wrong path. 
If we get this wrong, the rest of the house, the foundation will not stand. If you don't understand that God exists as a trinity, then it will be really difficult to have a proper understanding of who he is and to read this correctly. So God is a trinity. He exists in three persons. It's clear that the Bible says God, that there's one God, one and only one God, not three gods. There's one God. Deuteronomy says it's here. This is called the Shema because the first word is Shema in Hebrew. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Isaiah 44 says this, I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, this is God speaking, there is no God. Deuteronomy, you were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord, whenever you see Lord, all caps, it's Yahweh, that, that's God's name. You might know that Yahweh is God. Besides him, there is no other. Yet we also see that the Bible calls three different persons God. We see that the Bible calls the Father God and the Son, Jesus God. And then this other mysterious person, this Holy Spirit, is also God. So, so God is one God, but he exists in three persons. And, and, and I've had a number of people like, I, how am I supposed to understand God? I can't understand that. That doesn't even make sense to me. Welcome to the club. In fact, I'm, I am more than okay. In fact, I prefer not understanding comprehensively everything about God, that, that there's some mystery around him. If I understood him or you understood him in your little brain, everything about him, is he God then? <laughs> is he bigger than you if you're like, I got him. I got to figure it out. It took me a while, but I got it. There are things that we just simply can't know. Uh, we're just told. And so we accept it and say, this seems to be the case. This is how God, this is how he's describing himself. This is who he is. Now, that tells us who he is in his essence, but it doesn't say anything about what he's like. It tells us that he exists in three persons, yet he's still one God. But, but what is he like? So what we're going to see now is a list. And, and, and we, for, there's just no way on, this, on one morning we can go through an exhaustive list of verses of here's how, here, how it's described. But this, this is the overview of like who God is and what he's like. And it's broken into two categories. Um, what are often in theology referred to as, in this is big words, you don't have to memorize this, but incommunicable attributes and communicable attributes. Incommunicable meaning this cannot be given or experienced by humans, by people. It's for God and God himself. And then communicable is in, some of these you can, yeah, you, you can actually experience. Like you can actually experience various aspects of who God is and be like him. So here's the list, ready? How God is different than us. God is independent. He's self-existing. He doesn't need anyone or anything outside of himself to exist. He didn't have to be born. He doesn't need food. He doesn't need, he exists in and of himself. He is independent. He also is unchanging. What's referred to in theology as immutable. That he doesn't change. God doesn't like, like uh, you know, a few years ago he used to be like this, but now he's decided he wants to change. He's evolved. He's, he's you know, he's, uh, he's, just, he's just, times have changed and, and so has he. No, no, God, God is unchanging. God is eternal, and infinite. He doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. He exists outside of all of that. God is all present, or what we refer to as omnipresent. He is all knowing or omniscient. He is all powerful, omnipotent. He is all, he has all authority, or we refer to as sovereign. That God 
God has, God has the alls, right? He's everywhere. He can do anything that can be done, he can do. He has the ability to do it. If it can be known, he knows it. And, and he has all authority over all of it. If he wants to do it, he can do it. There's nothing that can stop him or, or prevent him from that. Now, you and I, we, we don't have any of those. We don't got those, right? That's God. But there's another list in which we say, no, these actually we can experience and, and, and have even, because we're made in the image of God, we actually get to experience for ourselves aspects of him. Here they are. Just, just not an exhaustive list, but a bunch of them. That God and us is truthful. That God is good, that God is wise, that God is loving, he's holy, he's gracious and merciful, he's righteous and just. We look at that list and we say, yeah, I, I could, I'm those things. I mean, not always, like, but I can be. Like, I've, you know, once I was truthful. I'm, mostly I'm good. Like, you guys are good, you know, like, prob- like when you're sleeping, you're really good. You're not making any mistakes. We can be wise and loving. We can be gracious and merciful. We, we, you know, we can be good at that, especially if, if someone wants us, like is pursuing forgiveness or grace. But we can also be righteous and just. We get those too. The most quoted verse in the Bible, by the Bible, um, I'm gonna guess you, you probably maybe haven't read or certainly haven't, haven't memorized. It's not John 3.16. Like that's the most like quoted verse that you and I it's actually not the most quoted verse um, I didn't even plan on saying this you know, you know what the most there's two the first the, the most quoted verse this is trivia and this is again if you're on Jeopardy this is it the most quoted verse is communion because it's practiced by churches all every week right communion like the this is my body my blood we're going to do that later today we're going to quote it. it's great the second is and this makes sense hey don't judge or you too will be judged. Oh yeah, we love that one. People love that verse. But what is the Bible, what is the verse most quoted by the Bible? Like what do other authors in scripture quote the most? Oh, that's an interesting verse. And that's this one. It's found in Exodus 34. It's quoted either in full or in part 27 times in scripture um, through, all throughout the Old Testament. And here it is. It's God speaking to Moses in an experience where Moses, um, he is, uh, he's given the tablets and then he gets upset and they, he breaks them. He got to go back. He's like, all right, Lord, uh, can I get a second pair of these? I messed up, okay? I'm sorry, right? And so he goes back up and he spends time on this mountain and this is the experience. God shows up and this is now God who is now gonna interact and speak to Moses. And it says this in verse six. And he... God passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord Yahweh the Lord Yahweh the compassionate and gracious God slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness rebellion and sin yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished this is the this is the first condensed description of God's character given by God himself where he says are right, you want to know what I'm like here it is, ready? And he gives this, this beautiful list, but it also illustrates a tension between God's mercy and justice. And, and you know what? You and I, we understand that tension. You and I can, can be merciful, and, and yet we also experience a sense of justice. And, and we know this when, when something unjust happened, and we say, that's wrong. Someone should do something about that. We can have mercy, yet, yet we too, like God, pursue 
justice. The only difference is God does it without sinning. You and I are not so good at that. We're not so good at experiencing these without sin. Here's the next thing we see. To know God, to know who God is, I need to approach him on his terms. All of us, like everyone in the world, would love, would love God to be how they want him to be. And a lot of people try to make God who they want him to be. But that's not how this works. If I want to know who he is, I approach him on his terms. And, and theologically, we say that this, that God is, a big word here, ready? Transcendent. That God is so much bigger than us, so much greater than us, that he is untouchable and he exists out of time and space, that, that we could say that, that there's an, um, there's an out-there-ness about God, that he's just, he exists about like outside of all of this. He created all of this and is, and is so much larger than, than what he created. There's a great passage in Acts that describes this um, uh, in uh, Acts 17. And it's the middle of a sermon Paul's giving, and he says this, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needs anything. Listen, God doesn't need any of this. He doesn't live like where we want him to. He is above and bigger than all of it. God is, God, God is transcendent. But we also see that God is what's referred to as imminent. Okay, ready? That God isn't just all out there, but God is actually really close. That God is larger than everything and is outside space and time, but God is, is actually right here. And we can know him and understand him. And, and he chose to be close and he chose to be known by us to make himself known because there's, a, there's not just an out-there-ness about God, but there's an in-here-ness. Like he's in here in this room and he's in your house and he's, he's, like in, he's with you if you're a follower of his and the Holy Spirit's like with you now. Like, like he's in you. He's, he's out there, but he's also right here. The same passage in Acts, a few verses later, it says this, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. He's way out there, but also he's not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, that God is transcendent and imminent. Here's the last thing we see. So we can know a lot about God. We can know a lot about him and the details. But here's, and this is where we, this is where kind of the, the rubber meets the road. This is like where it gets really important for us. This is now like, okay, how do I respond? Here it is, ready? Truly, truly knowing someone can only be found in relationship. You, you can know a lot about a person. You can know um, the details of their life, what they do for a living, what they're passionate about, what their family is like, um, what they're good at, what they aren't good at, the things they like to eat. Um, like, you can know a lot about someone. But until you get into a relationship, you don't really know them. Um, this, this happens... Uh, this happens all the time in, um, in, in, I'm guessing a lot of us have moved past this phase in life, but this happens a lot of time, um, all the time in dating relationships. Do you ever date anyone? Yeah? Did you, did you ever, did you, ever uh, you know, be honest. Did you ever date anyone? You're like, nah, I shouldn't have done that, right? Are they in the room right now? Should we, is this gonna be a problem? 
This happens all the time in dating relationships, especially if it's someone like a friend of yours trying to set you up. Like we've done this with friends of ours, like, oh, you know, trying to describe someone or introduce them, or maybe someone's done that to you and, or for you. And, 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 you, and you introduce them and you're like, oh man, I, I really think you guys will hit it off because they're like this. And man, she's just so kind and nice and, uh, and she's so smart and she's so funny. She's like, she's like gonna be perfect. Or, you know, oh, he's such a gentleman and he's just, man, I think you guys are gonna be perfect for each other. And he, he like the thing you like, he likes all this stuff, right? And which is funny because like, like every time, this, this is true, every time someone introduces someone, they're like, they never introduce them and say, you know what? He's a terrible person. I think he's perfect for you. <laughs> like it's always like, oh, they're so great. And, and you just kind of, you know, don't worry about the bad stuff. You just, you just, you just prop them up like, this is a, how are they still single? How is this even possible? This is a perfect person. And you know about them and you know their name and then, and then you go on a date and it's now it's like, oh, now I'm gonna get to know you and oh, this is different. This is the different, oh, it, you, okay, you know what? And if it doesn't go well, you go back home to your friend and you're like, you will never, never introduce me to anyone ever again. Your taste is terrible. I have less respect now for your spouse because of what, like who you picked for me. Like, I can't believe that. Or it goes well, it goes so good, and you're like, oh, wow, like I know about you, but now we're getting to know each other, and you decide, let's do it again, and let's do it again. I'm gonna get choked up here over this. Let's do it again, and you just, oh, yeah, we do it. We go on a date, and then another date, and then it's like, are we dating? I think so. All right, this is not, and then you get married, and, and it's not until you get married that you really know. <laughs> right? In fact, you can't really know someone until you're like, we're, we're all in here. We're committed. And, and, and even after a year, you're like, oh, it's, it's great. Everything's great. Oh, don't talk to me yet. One year? You're one year in? Right? Hey, at year 10, let's talk. 15, 20. And here's what happens. Over time, it becomes less about like the feeling and it's more of, no, no, no. Like, like we know each other. Right? I know you and you know me. And, and, and it's in relationship that we really get to, I know about you, I know all the stuff, but like I know you more than, than I know anyone else. And, and likewise. Now, some of us, uh, we're out of the dating game and uh, you know, that's fine. Some of you are in it right now. Some of you are maybe hoping to get back in it or hoping to get out of it. And wherever you are, all right. But you and I do this all the time in another area, and we do this with friends, with friends that we know or maybe mutual friends we have with someone else. And, and we say like, oh, the, you know, do you know so-and-so because maybe you have, you know, uh, you run in similar circles or similar areas or similar work, whatever. And, and oh, do you know so-and-so? Oh, no, I, I, I've heard about them. Oh, man, you'll love them, they, this and this, and then you describe them. But you're like, oh, I know, I know about them, but I, I don't know them. I haven't gotten, I, don't, I just, we're not, you know, I, don't, I haven't met them. And they'll say, oh, I have to introduce you, they're great, so that you can get to know them. Now listen, it isn't until you actually get to know someone in a, in a relationship that you actually know them. And this is no different, ready? It's no different with God. How you get to know new people, it's the same way you get to know God. You can know all the stuff about him, but to say I know him, to I, I truly know him, it means you have a relationship and you actually on a personal level 
experience it. And, and this is hard to explain it. Just like it's hard to explain to people like, like uh, how do you know what love is, right? How do you know you love them? And you're, and you're sort of, listen, I, 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 like it's not just a, it's not a, it's not a collection of knowledge of all the facts. It's more personal than that. It's deeper than that. It's even hard to explain sometimes than that. And it's the same with God, which is why, which is why it's hard for unbelievers, for people who don't, for like unchurched, who don't know God, to, to, it's hard for them to even understand how someone who does have a relationship with God, like, it doesn't make sense to me. How can, you, how can you be so devoted to this being? Oh, it's, it's because it's a relationship. It's not a just facts. It's not just reading a stale book. This is a real relationship. So to, we can say this. Truly knowing someone can only be found in a relationship, and truly knowing God can only be found in a relationship with him. Jesus says this in John chapter seven, uh, 17, verse 3. He says this. Now this is eternal life. What's eternal life? What does it mean to live forever? That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus is saying, listen, here's what it looks like. Ready? It's that they know you and me whom you've sent. So when we talk about like knowing God and, and understanding theology, the study of God, we can know all the facts, but until you have a relation, where you decide I'm actually going to enter into a relationship and, and submit to you and say, all right, I'm in. Until that moment, you can't truly know what he's like. You can't know him. So we're gonna, um, we're gonna end here uh, with a time of communion where we say like, this, this what we're about to do um, is the reason we can know God. So I'm gonna ask this. I'm gonna ask you to stand up. If you have your, if you have the, uh, your elements with you or on the seat next to you, um, grab it. We're gonna do a little different here. We're gonna take this together and then we're gonna respond in worship. So Pull, um, pull out your, your little cup. And, and what we're told is that on the night Jesus would be betrayed, his final night with his disciples, his final, this final supper, this final time where he's going to be with them for over three and a half hours, it starts by him pulling out the bread by breaking it, giving thanks, and then giving it to them. And he says this, this bread is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then we're told in the same way after the supper, after this, this incredible, intense meal, he pulls out this cup and he says, all right, guys, it's time to conclude this and here's how we're gonna conclude it. I'm starting a new covenant. And he pulls out this cup and said, this is a new covenant, which is given, this is, this is you know what this is, guys? This is my blood. This is, gonna, this is gonna come about because of my sacrifice. And he says, whenever you do this, drink this, do this in remembrance of me. So Lord, we do remember you and we thank you and we worship you and and as daunting as a task, I mean, it's impossible to have a comprehensive discussion of, of who you are in just one, in, in, in one church service, even in, even, even in a year or a lifetime. But what we do know is that 
You are so much greater than we can imagine, and yet you're so much closer than we think you are. And so I pray for all of us, God, that, that those of us who are, who are in a relationship with you, that it would only get stronger over time, only get deeper, only become more and more of, of, uh, of what you want for us. And for those of us who maybe don't yet, Lord, I pray that they think about it and, and seriously consider you. I'm, I'm talking to you now. God, that they would seriously consider what it means to have a relationship with you. Jesus, we thank you for what you did on the cross, that you, you did um, the only thing that could bring us to God. You paid, you paid the price for us so that we could know him. We worship you and we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name.